Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We're recording this on February the 8th, a few hours after the announcement of the England squad to tour the West Indies, play three tests in March. And I suppose you could say the new broom or the new old broom has done quite a bit of sweeping. Andrew Strauss, coming in as temporary director of cricket, has helped in the selection of a squad of 16, which doesn't feature Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad or Joss Butler or either of the openers who started the Ashes or a couple of other names. So David Milan. Yeah, Milan, yeah. It's one of the top, you know, the top three, actually, uh, with, with the exception of Zach Crawley, Crawley of course. So quite a, a dramatic change in tone of this squad. We'll have a look at that. Uh, we've also got Reese Topley on this show today, who was our guest in the Virtual Cricket Club earlier, and who talks about, well, firstly, the, the squad announcement and also looks ahead to the IPL mega auction this weekend, which will make or break a few lives. Uh, so we're, we'll hear from him uh, a little bit later. And actually, we've also got your listeners' questions as well. We've chosen three questions to, to highlight. And if you want to send us a question and ask us anything about the game at all, you can send in an audio file. Use your audio recorder on your phone or whatever. Send us an audio question to theanalystpodcast at gmail.com and we'll sift through them, pick out the best and answer them, play them on the show and answer them. So those are coming up later. But first, the squad. Simon, of 16, which is being ravaged compared to the, the squad that went to the Ashes. It's amazing, isn't it, what an Ashes series defeat will do to English cricket. And there was that year, what was it, late 80s, when England used 29 players in an Ashes series. 
you know, it, it does something to Engli- English psyche, doesn't it? England do not like to lose to Australia, and when they do, and there's a cycle about it as well. And you know, England look forward to it. Chris Silverwood talked about it. You know, two years out, we're preparing for the Ashes, we're planning for the Ashes, and then when it goes so badly wrong as it did in Australia, I mean, there are quite a lot of journalists I've spoken to saying, you know, this was the worst England performance in Australia they'd seen. You know, a few of them had said that. Then inevitably, there's going to be a reaction. I think we always knew there was going to be a changes uh, certainly at the top Ashley Giles has gone and Chris Silverwood has gone and Graham Thorpe has gone and now eight players who featured in the Ashes series have gone including two of the greats really of, of, of the English game Andrew Strauss has said that it's not necessarily this is how I wrote not necessarily the end of Anderson or Broad it depends who comes in as, as next coach and next managing director of, of English cricket they may have different ideas but his idea at the moment is I think you know, one of, of change we need to do something different uh, the Ashes were poor, and it is a very different-looking squad. One thing that, uh, that struck me about it, obviously Anderson and Broad, but also the, the top order as well, it's Alex Lees' turn now. I mean, we've England have used so many openers over the years. They're trying to fill the gap left by Andrew Strauss himself and then latterly uh, Alistair Cook, and now it's Alex Lees. First-class average, 34 he played uh, in the Lions team against Australia A. He was captain. He made two and one. And do you know who got him out? Uh, probably, I would guess, uh, Boland. Scott Boland got him out in both innings. <laughs> Just a little, one of those sort of little perverse things that you know, because the Australians in, in the game picked cricket. a couple of guys who could play in the series in that Lions mm-hmm. match, didn't they? Whereas England didn't take the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, they, they, and one you know one of them, for example, was Matt Parkinson, who I think is an interesting selection in the squad. And we've talked on this podcast before, and I put forward the theory before that, that I think there's a feeling, possibly in the English game, that the shorter the game, the more likely a leg spinner is to, to cause problems. But Matt Parkinson's first class record is very good with Lancashire. He's taking his wickets over 100 wickets at at 23, and you just wonder whether you know his time has come. You know whether it's worth giving him a go now. Every, you know, not everything else has worked. I think it's fair to say in the English spin department. In fact, often they haven't even been given a game. But it may well be that that Parkinson is is looked at now. I I thought I had a feeling actually after Australia that that would happen. That, that you know they they might right. Let's see if this works or not. Uh, you know he's, he's he's been promising in white ball cricket. Let's see if it works in in red ball cricket. But I think there is this feeling that the longer the game, the less effective a leg spin bowler is. Be, simply because you can okay you can bowl you a good ball, but you can also wait for a bad ball, which often comes with a leg spinner. If you're not you know a top 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 class. Uh, leg spin bowler, uh, you know, someone like Yasir Shah, for example, of Pakistan, you know, good bowler, but he, you know, he his record is, is you know, he's gone off as well. You know, t- teams have sort of, t- you know, taken taken the attack to him and and scored heavily off him. So you know, it, yeah. even those are good. Well, bowlers. I mean, I suppose they so, they try and use a leggy as or a spinner is has got a dual role to be quite economical in the early stages of a match and then hopefully come into their own in the later stages, but. The pitches don't break up as much as they used to, do they? So drop-in pitches are almost immaculate come the fourth and fifth day. So the leggy hasn't got quite as much to work with as perhaps a finger spinner would or, you know, just with the bounce they get. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm slightly disappointed, though I totally understand this, that Liam Livingston wasn't included in this squad, just as a sort of bit of a wild card. And I know it would be a wild card because he hardly played much first-class cricket for Lancashire. He admits that... His technique isn't ideally suited to test cricket at the moment. 
But I just think he's someone that we should really encourage to play. Let's say, tell him to play a lot of four-day cricket this summer if he's not away uh, in the, the IPL for half of it, which he probably will be. You know, I, I just want to see him develop his bowling because I think he could be potentially a really good bowler as well as his obvious talent with the bat. Uh, who are the other inclusions? Well, you mentioned Ben Folks. Ollie Pope has survived the cut. I actually think that's fair enough. I think he's someone who, you know, has got a big future and he's got a lot of talent. He was just a little bit confused during the Ashes series. Johnny Bairstow, obviously... Uh, in there as well as as one of the top six, I guess. No place for Joss Butler. Um, who else do we pick up? Chris Wokes is, of course, there. Oliver. So I guess the, the bowling attack will be Wood, Wokes, Robinson, and one of Saqib Mahmood, Matthew Parkinson, um, Matthew, Matthew Fisher, an interesting inclusion, uh, who was the youngest ever county player to play... Uh, since the Second World War. Didn't play in a first-class game when he was 15, but played in a 40-over match for Yorkshire and has had a lot of you know difficult injury problems, but definitely a talent. And uh, the, the other spinner is... Well, the, the, the other obvious choice of bowlers, Jack Leach, and Craig Overton's made it as well. So there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of bowlers there to choose from. Yeah, well, there were quite a lot of bowlers to choose from in Australia as well, and quite a lot of batsmen to choose from in Australia. But I mean, you know, num- numbers don't add up, do they? Really, and they they didn't in Australia. I mean, yeah, they, they've got they've got options. I mean, in terms of whether Parkinson plays, it it, it sort of depends whether Ben Stokes is fit, doesn't it? I mean, he's he's been included in the squad, but is he going to be fit to bowl? We all saw what happened to him, you know, at the back end of the Ashes series when he had that that problem, uh, that side problem, uh, is, is he going to be able to bowl? I mean, what he does do, of course, is he, he balances the, the team, helps them you know, able to play three other pace bowlers and a spinner. And that would help Parkinson in the way it sort of, you know, help Leach play in the, in the Ashes series. One of the reasons why he didn't play last summer and you know, why he, was, he hadn't played much cricket by the time the Ashes came around. So, that, that, you know, that's a, a factor for all those uh, players, really all those sort of fringe bowlers who are trying to force their way in. I, I'm, I have to say, it, it, it's, I mean, there might be a few raised eyebrows. I mean, I think he's a really good good cricketer Chris Wokes but mainly at home and his record is very good at home but he didn't have an, a very good Ashes series Anderson Broad I, I mean if you look at their stats didn't have a disastrous Ashes series not not by any means and Broad took England's first Fifer Jimmy Anderson I remember bowling absolutely beautifully in Melbourne uh, but Chris Wokes had a, a really lean time of it and, and, and Chris Wokes you know, stays in the squad he is younger of course uh, but he's, he's, it, mainly his success has, has been at home. Perhaps they didn't feel they could get rid of all three. You know, that would be a, a huge cull and lots of inexperience in that England lineup. But that's what they've got. What, what do you make of Anderson? Let's talk about Anderson Broad then. We haven't, we've, we've touched on it. We haven't really talked about it uh, yet. I mean, does, is, is it right? Is it time? I mean, is it, is it fair that we talk about Anderson and Broad as well? Because, you know, Stuart Broad's four years younger than than Jimmy Anderson. It's not as if they're a job lot. I mean, they are individuals in their own right. I mean, you know, they, and they are sort of different, you know, potentially different stages in their career. You know, Stuart Broad might have something to give still. Jimmy, what, 39, still, you know, potentially a, a quality bowler. But is I do you get to the stage where you say it is really time to, to move on? Both have got central contracts as well, being paid, you know, for, for the rest of the... Rest of the year or most of the year? Yeah, we know that the ECB isn't too worried about the money they spend on certain things, don't we? Uh, I think that it, it, it probably 
what they want to find out is who in that bowling group can lead the attack in the future. And the trouble is, while you've got Broad and Anderson there, they're always going to be the go-to bowler in a critical moment or taking the new ball or taking the second new ball or whatever. You're going to tend to find you, the captain will go to them because they're the, the, the experienced spearheads and you know they've done it so many times before. And until they're not in the side, there is no opportunity for anyone else to stand up and say, actually, I'm the man who's going to take this second new ball or take this responsibility. We know what Broad and Anderson can do we need to find out about a few others to kind of create a bit of a succession path. Is it the end for, for Anderson and Broad? Well, actually, let's hear from Reese Topley first what he thinks about it. Surprising. However, with, the, with those two, I feel like you, you know what you're, you're going to get. I don't, it's not the end. If anyone thinks it's that their career's over, I think they're very wrong. I think it's they want to know who's basically going to be competing to play with them in my opinion um obviously probably ollie robinson or and uh mark wood have got the the shirts at the minute so to be almost part of that quartet but i think that they want to know who who their guys are for the summer and going forward and i don't obviously it's it's bad if i don't know what their situations are that they obviously well, i'd assume they'd want to play but it's not the end for those two, I don't think. It's it's just who's going to be bowling with them going forward. So he doesn't think that uh, Anderson and Broad are finished. Um, I suspect they will play again. Uh, it, it depends a little bit how these other guys do. You know, if Saki Mahmood comes through or, um, you know, maybe Matthew Fisher, someone like that, and, and creates a star role. I think if Ollie Robinson could uh, up his fitness levels a little bit and show a little bit more, I don't know, sort of will to to be that person, that that spearhead, then maybe Anderson and Broad can be sort of phased out. And you're right to not necessarily lump them together because Broad is three, four years younger and maybe still has great greater ambitions or perhaps, you know, he could have another two years. I, is, it, is it really what England need, though? Do they not need... I think, I'll tell you one other thing I would just say is that... I think it's not easy for a young bowler to come into the side with an Anderson Broad. It's a bit daunting. It's a bit like the years when uh, new spinners were coming into the Australian side just after Shane Warne's retirement and everyone's comparing them and the bowlers, the young bowlers themselves are probably comparing them to, to Shane Warne and there's that sort of shadow looming over them all the time. Not an easy thing to deal with. You'd think, great, you know, Anderson and Broad are there, they can help the young bowler, and I'm sure they do. I'm not saying they deliberately hide anything or, or, or are awkward or anything, but it, it, that's that psychological presence of them is, is quite intimidating, I would imagine, for a young bowler. Yeah, what about for Joe Root as captain as well? I, I remember I, my thoughts go back to Adelaide, where he gave that sort of quite sort of fiery uh, post-match uh, presentation interview, and then he did an interview on Test Match Special as well, where you know he was really fired up, as fired up as I I can remember him. You know, talking about uh, the, you know the lengths that they bowled, and you know four, four years previously it, it was similar. I wonder whether you know, I don't know. I wonder whether he sort of lost patience with them, or you know, I think he did feel, a bit. Feels frustrated by them that they they. I don't know that, and perhaps you know, perhaps it's, you know, all good things come to an end, don't they? As well, that's the other thing. You know, it, all, yeah. all careers come to an end. It's, it's not a. 
I mean, Jimmy Anderson's been absolutely magnificent. He's a craftsman. He's and that's that bowling in Melbourne was just was beautiful bowling in that Test match that England lost ultimately. You know, they were they were crushed in the game. He bowled, bowled superbly. Stuart Broad, you know, came back and bowled with you know great heart and picked up those five wickets in in Sydney as well. It, it's it's that. It's it's really it's a difficult situation to deal with, isn't it? When you've got two sort of greats of the game, hugely successful bowlers, that have dominated the game. You know, when is it time to say you know thanks, but no thanks? I mean, you, you could argue, I suppose, that this is this is the opportunity to have a look, isn't it? You're right. You have a look. We're, I'm not 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 taking West Indies lightly, but England have lost the Ashes. Um, um, they're not going to play India in a in a major series for a while. They got that one-off Test match against West Indies. You you feel they can have a look to see what else is out there for a while. But having said that, there's another Ashes series the, the summer after next, so it's not too long before they're going to have to you know get themselves together again and and, and find a really competitive uh, unit. So there's, there's not that much time in a way. And you know you could also argue that you know, just win the next Test match in front of you. you know, we spent sort of so many so many years just sort of planning for the future and and the, the present it seemed to be almost disregarded I, I know covid had an influence and you know they felt they had to mix and match a bit and i do have some sympathy uh, for them over that and you know who was going to play and stay and who was going to go and come back and whatever but um it, it, it there, there is that opportunity now uh, to have a look for for a while anyway and you you still can bring back uh, Anderson and or Broad if you want to and it, of course the other thing is it, it does depend who the new coach and new managing director are, are going to be because they might have completely different views on it they may say no I you know I want I want Stuart Broad I want to get another couple of years out of him the other thing is well of course it might be that that Stuart and Jimmy want to walk away now who who knows i mean it may be that they feel they've had enough as well i i actually just had a quick look at their their twitter accounts and there was you know there was no response at all to uh, today's news so far anyway so i just wondered what they're and they're uh, saving it up for their columns and in, in <laughs> well, the newspapers be. aren't they <laughs> yeah, i could well i could could be well england have, have made a statement at the moment i think it's it, it it's fair to say and they've, they've looked elsewhere and mahmoud has come in and and fisher has come in. Apart from that, it's the the other four that, that went to the West Indies. So uh, those those two bowlers have, have you know, we'll have to see how they get on. I mean, they they might not get their chance. They might not get much of a chance in in, in the Caribbean. Or you feel there's you know if they, if they select you want you sort of feel they want you want to have a look at them now when you get to that stage. I mean you, you don't give out free you know cheap cheap caps to anyone. But I mean they well they've earned the right to to be in the squad. He was actually Matt Fisher was was picked for the eventually he was picked at fifteen for. To play in a county match, he, he made his debut at Yorkshire at seventeen. He actually was picked for England under nineteens at, at fifteen as well. Um, born, born in York, he's taken sixty three wickets at at twenty seven in his first class career so far. But and debut back in two thousand and fifteen. But the point being, of course, he has had uh, lots of injuries. And you know, sometimes if you play you know, at high level at 15, 16, 17, it, it can have an impact on your body. For example, look at look at Pat mm. Cummins. You know, he was bowling at 90 miles an hour at 17 and he had injuries, presumably as a result of that, just putting too much strain on a, on a youngish body. Um, but he's come back, obviously, superbly now. Hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. So the other man who may be feeling a little deflated is Joss Butler. And probably he read the race, but still would be disappointed to have not been selected. Of course, he had to go back from Australia early with that broken finger. And he's didn't have a great series, did he, the Ashes? Uh, he, he batted valiantly in Adelaide, um, made a few runs, but didn't really convince his keeping was a, re- a bit erratic as well. Some brilliant catches and one or two drops. It, it probably is the right move to to get your best keeper in. Although I would actually, I would still go with Bonnie, Johnny Bairstow keeping and batting at six because I think that's where you get the best out of Bairstow is that dual role. But they've gone with the keeper, the, the, the you know the top keeper Ben. Folks. Well, they brought him in, Yoz. It doesn't mean to say he's definitely going to play. So he's going to yeah. play. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, I, I always felt Bairstow was was a, a strong wicketkeeper batsman op- option for England. I, I felt that a while back, um, but they wanted to have a look at him higher up the order. He gradually got pushed up, and you know, then they wanted to, him just to play as a batter. They, th- they thought, look at his record in county cricket; it was excellent. So you know, he should be able to bat up high up, and you know, it, we know it hasn't quite worked out. And so, but it, it may well be that they, you know, they do. Uh, go back to him, or they or may well be they just go with folks and say, right, let, let's have a look. Let, let's let's have a specialist, top class specialist. We can keep it. Folks hasn't done much wrong when he's played for England. He scored some runs as well at, at times, notably early on against uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, let's go with that. And one one of the other big losers, Butler as well. I mean, there are a few. I mean, David Milan's not in there as well. Uh, started the Ashes well and then faded. And, and Rory Burns, who England have. Set a lot of store by in 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 recent years. They've given him lots of opportunities. Um, not a great Ashes series again, and he he's uh, paid the price. So an, another opener uh, jettisoned after you know in his case quite a long international career. He's had a, a lots of opportunities, and my mind goes back to last summer when he was he played brilliantly at Lords against New Zealand. A wonderful hundred, and some of the shots he played actually after he got to a hundred as well. Uh, it just shows how tough the game of cricket can be. Well, the questions from our listeners uh, are related to England's squad and England's wider issues of, of coaches and so on. The first one here is from Richard Shelley. What are the benefits of retaining Paul Collingwood as the interim England coach when he was part of a team that failed so poorly in Australia? My feeling about Paul Collingwood is he's an excellent man uh, who knows the game intimately, who's done a lot of different types of coaching, uh, you know, batting coach, fielding coach, his coach Durham. He's, he's, he's done the rounds. Obviously, he's a very well-travelled cricketer. 
and he's captained England in short format, obviously played a lot of tests, won the Ashes in 2010 in Australia, made a double hundred at, at Adelaide. So, you know, he's had he's got masses of experience and knowledge and he's got the huge respect of the players as well. Yeah, he was sort of associated with that 4-0 loss to the Ashes, but he actually left that series early. So he's not quite as tarnished as perhaps some of the others. What do you think? Well, one thing you could say is that there's a bit of continuity there, some continuity. I and mean, they've got rid of two of the coaches. If they've got rid of everybody, then who would they have turned to? So that that's one aspect. To it. I mean, it's an opportunity for him, isn't it, to to show what he can do. Although, if you only get three matches, do you see Paul Collingwood as England's next men's coach? Not not sure. I'm not saying he shouldn't be, you know, around the coaching setup or anything like that. We shouldn't be taking the team to the Caribbean. But I wonder whether they'll look for someone, someone else. Uh, yeah, to go I, I mean, I, I just think he's such a he's such a matey sort of chap. You know, he's a great socializer and you know, brilliant fun on tour. Happy to go out and have a drink, and he, you know, he's got great stories and so on. You know, he's a brilliant character. Does he have the gravitas, the uh, you know authority, maybe the seniority, to sort of sometimes sit back and go, right, this is you know this is crap. We need we need to change this, and we need to you know pull our socks up, whatever. Has he got that presence about him? He probably he, he may have to some of the players, the younger ones. I mean, Stokes loves him to bits, of course. Uh, you know, Durham boys and all that. They played together a fair bit. I personally would prefer, I think, someone from outside. I, I would perhaps make Paul Collingwood the one-day coach, the white ball coach, and bring someone else uh, from outside as, as the Test match coach. And actually, the next question is related to that. Hello, Simon and Simon. David Peterson from Norwood, Adelaide, South Australia. In terms of the English coaching position, do you think uh, Justin Langer is a genuine contender or is all the talk of uh, disunity from the players and finding him a bit too authoritarian going to be a negative in terms of the ECB's views? And also, what would your thoughts be on Jason Gillespie's chances given his uh, previous history of successful coaching with Yorkshire. Thank you. Well, that was a question from David Peterson. My instinctive reaction, and it is only an instinctive reaction, I just can't see Justin Langer as England's head coach. I, I can't see him going from a situation where the Australian players, who, or some of them, wanted him out, to him coming into the England squad I just and, and taking that over. I mean, it may be that... That Justin Lang is one of those, you know, who he's so fired up by the fact he lost the Australian job. You know, he wants to sort of come in and I'll show you type of thing. Uh, I'll show you what I can do. Uh, I, for me, it, it just doesn't. I don't know. I, I can't. I just can't see it happening. Um, he, you know, he is he sort of dyed in the wall, isn't he? You know, baggy green and all that. You know, if you sort of split him open, there'll be a baggy green in there. Uh, that, that that that's Justin Lang. In the same way, I can't. I couldn't see Ricky Ponting as England's. Uh, test match coach either like Ian Chappell being England coach right. isn't it almost I don't know I just yeah. I, for me I just I don't know it, 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 I, I, it just doesn't, yeah, it know, doesn't I mean, true. It does, no I know what you mean and, and of course actually it's funny you mentioned the, the baggy green because I've seen him do a, a sort of uh, motivation talk 
And he, he actually gets out his baggy green cap uh, doing this talk. So it stays with him wherever he goes. And, yeah, he is a total fair dinkum Aussie. And maybe, though, he's so miffed yeah. by the way he's been treated that he will think, they'll shaft you lot, yeah. I'm joining the opposition. <sighs> it, it's unlikely, isn't it? I mean, money, money will talk a little bit. Uh, our money is double what theirs would be. So, you know, he can he can kind of, you know, ride into the sunset after a couple of years of, of coaching England. Jason Gillespie, I think, has sort of ruled himself out, actually. I don't think he's he's going for it. I, I seem to have picked up some news somewhere saying that he's not that interested. Um, so we can more or less discount that. And it, it'll be fascinating to see who, who it is in the end. You know, Stephen Fleming, Gary Kirsten... Um, Andy Flower, I would say those are the probably three three of the leading contenders. Yeah, I mean Andrew Strauss didn't rule out Justin Langer the other day, but then that's a difficult situation in a way because he's only interim um, managing director. But I I wonder whether if Andrew Strauss continue, would continue in that job, it's not going to happen as we understand it. Whether he it might be more likely that Justin Langer would get the job if Andrew Strauss continued, whereas if someone else they they might have other ideas. Um, that, that that would be my reading of the situation. But, yeah, you, in a way, you can't rule anyone out, in or out yet because there's you know there's a long way to go down the, the process of interviewing, appointing, whatever, isn't there? And, you know, they, they, need, to, they need to know who's in the hierarchy first, who, who the hire is before you can do, you know, do the hiring. So, and that's another reason why someone like you know, Paul Collingwood seems like a sort of sensible, pragmatic choice at the moment just to take the team... Uh, to the Caribbean for the for the West Indies tour. Okay, well, here's the next question, and there's an, an Aussie flavour to these questions today. That's Sam from Australia here, although I am currently living in the UK. January and February are quite tough, so keen for the season to get started. Question for both of you, what is the best day of test cricket you've ever been involved in or witnessed whether it be live, on TV, on the radio, uh, what's the best day of Test cricket and why? Cheers, and thanks so much for the podcast. I, I find it hard to separate three, actually. The Chennai Test match, when England went back after the Mumbai bombings, incredible game of cricket, Tendulkar making 100, Saywag's brilliance, Andrew Strauss making 200s in the game. It was fantastic to be back in India. It was a great Test match, India chasing nearly 400 to win in the, the the final innings. Sydney, when England won the Ashes uh, in 2010-11, or won the series, uh, the, the, the amazing atmosphere, the England supporters there, it was, it was something that hadn't been witnessed in Australia since 86-87. It certainly hasn't been witnessed since, where England have been shellacked every time they go there. And actually, that's England's last victory in Australia, so that was a memorable one. And actually, a slightly left-field one, OK, Headingley... 2019 was incredible but I also thought Headingley 2014 was one of the great test matches as well Sri Lanka won it from the penultimate ball of the match England had no chance of saving the game going into the final day they were five down Mo and Ali played brilliantly Angelo Matthews played one of the most sublime test match innings I've ever seen Sri Lanka coming from well behind it was almost their Headingley 81 in a way to come from uh, so far behind to win the game so that is a game that really stands in in, uh, in my uh, memory that Sri Lanka game in 2014 but I mean you know there have been so many brilliant test matches but I think I would pick out those three and then the conclusion obviously of 2019. 
What about you? Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I mean, mine's a more obvious answer, partly because I sort of had a personal connection with it. 2005, Edgebaston, that series was so momentous for so many reasons, and it, it really came to a, an extraordinary climax. Well, in fact, that was where it pivoted, the Edgebaston Test match, where England got on top to start with, then Australia fought back, and it ebbed and flowed, and then... On that third day, the Saturday, Flintoff bowled that brilliant over to get rid of Langer and Ponting and England got on top. And then the Aussies sort of fought back and there was that crazy seventh or eighth wicket stand with Shane Warne and Brett Lee with the, I don't know, 90-odd to win on the last day or the fourth day uh, and with two wickets in hand. Warren steps on his stumps and then the last pair put on about 35 and suddenly England win with two runs to spare. And it, it was... It was so exciting, and the whole summer hung on that game, really, and that outcome. And it was the last year of Channel 4 cricket, so it was an important year for me. And, of course, it was at the end there when Kastrovitz gloved the ball down the leg side, and it was only about 50 minutes later where some BT operator pointed out in the truck that actually it looked as if his hand was off the bat when when it was gloved and we managed to rustle together the footage and put it out. A little bit late for DRS. <laughs> DRS didn't exist then. And uh, and so we should have proved that actually poor old Kasperitz wasn't out and Australia had been had been robbed of a potential victory. And then that series just sort of, you know, it, it, it built and built to an even bigger climax in a way at the, at the Oval, but then it, it was an anti-climax at the end. So... That test match, the Edgbaston test match, was the pivotal one, and I just, I just, you know, I just loved that series. And I would say, actually, as a as a little uh, sort of follow up to that, 2010, like you, amazing achievement by England. But the test match I pick out is Melbourne MCG, where it's one all in the series, and England win the toss. Boxing Day MCG, eighty thousand Australians baying for English blood. And England bowled them out for 98. And I happened to be on BBC commentary when the last wicket was taken. And I sort of said, almost in shock, Australia all out for 98 on Boxing Day. And of course, England then went on 158 for, for no wicket at the end of the day, won the test and, and, and retained the ashes. So those two, for me, were extraordinary games and so unexpected in what happened and and so tantalising, really, and certainly in the Edgebaston Test until the, literally the last ball. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So if you think the England selectors have a problem in selecting a team of 16, how about the 10 IPL franchises selecting from no less than 1,214 players for the forthcoming next three series of the IPL starting in April this year. The auction is this weekend, February the 12th and 13th. And, you know, pairing that 1,200 names down to, well, 20 per 
franchise or something like that. So a total of 200. So there's going to be over a thousand players disappointed and so much money at stake. Each team has about seven or eight million dollars left in their purse to spend because they've most retained three or four. They were, they were allowed to retain four players maximum. Most of them have retained either three or four. So they've got to pick about another 16 or 17 with this $7 million in their purse, roughly. Um, two new franchises, Lucknow and Ahmedabad, captained by Kale Rahul and Hardik Pandya. So they've both moved from their existing teams, which is quite, leaves quite a big hole, actually. Rahul playing for Kings XI Punjab and, you know, a very uh, consistent opener. And Hardik Pandya, one of the absolute engine room of the Mumbai Indians team that won the IPL four times with his brother. So, you know, some opportunity. And, you know, why I suppose it's interesting is that so many players are put in for this. Uh, and they've uh, the, the way it's worked is that you nominate your, uh, your starting price and they range from 300,000 to 100,000 or something. Uh, Reese Topley is in that group, the $100,000 group. So he's gone quite low in the hope of picking up a contract. It'd be just, it was just interesting to find out whether he was excited about that, whether he was going to be listening to the auction, what his whole take on it was. Well, first, firstly, I don't actually know when it is. It's this weekend, the twelfth and thirteenth of February. What? I'll be on a train from Milan to Rome for oh. the Six Nations. Right. Okay. Um, I don't. I, I don't like to watch them. Um, if it if it goes well, you'll you'll hear one way or another. If it goes badly, you probably won't. So you can just keep going with, with life as it was. Um, uh, that's the way I've done it before. Um, I've I've got a. Uh, you know, when I've been picked up for, by Islamabad, I, I haven't watched it. I've I've had people just get in touch and um, you know wish me well, but no, I'm um, not not purposefully um, you know keeping myself occupied. But uh, going f- to Rome to watch the Six Nations was an opportunity that, especially as I've got back recently and I've got the next few weeks off, I thought I'd take take uh, make the most of of that opportunity. How much do you do you want to play in the IPL? I mean, is it, is it a, a a big goal, or is it just one of those? You know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, I, I used to be of the of the mindset that if it happens, it happens, and if it didn't, I wouldn't be so bothered. But last year, I think it was the uh, it was the real sort of moment where I was like, right, I have to be be in it. I, I really want to. Um, I've had so many opportunities to go as a replacement player, but I haven't been allowed to go by my county side. Um, and that's that there's some rule written because counties have been left quite out of favour in the past after the auction where people pull out and then they raid county cricket for replacement players um, or people that haven't been picked up in the auction. And that left the counties, you know, with without you know, they're starting line lineup bowlers or batters. So then that, that was something that was signed that if you're not picked up in the auction, you, you, you can't go as a replacement player if you're on a county contract. And it's happened to me a few times now. It happened twice last year um, at the start and then when it was restarted. And then it's it's got to the point where, well, what what's the point of 
playing if, I, if I'm never going to be able to go and test myself against the best and play in the best tournament you know what what's the point of doing all the the hard work and uh, coming back from injuries etc if, if if I'm never going to be allowed to go and, and play in, in the world's premier tournament so now I'm of the mindset where it's something I really want to do because for 12 years of my career I haven't been able to in a way the soul of cricket is is India and it is it is out there um uh they have such a strong hold on, on cricket financially and, and, and the cricketing world needs India um mm. and, and it is just a, a different level out there I, I think it would be just an incredible experience Sonny, when I asked him that question about you know whether you just take it you know take it or leave it if you select it or not, actually no, he, he was he's really up for it, isn't he? He's, he? You sense that he'd be really disappointed and not to get picked up this time. Of course, he did play in England's uh, five match series against West Indies, his first T Twenty internationals uh, for six years. And he's been playing in the the Big Bash as well, so he's sort of on a on a bit of a high as far as T Twenty is concerned and he did pretty well in the in the Caribbean at, at times as well so you know he he will sort of be in focus if you like um but so, so what, what what the auction itself yods um mm. I, I mean it it just it just exp, can you, I don't know if you can explain wh- what happens I mean it's it is it's like there's a lot of poker going on isn't there and, yeah. and well there is i mean in actual fact each team i mean i'm sure that many of you listeners here will, will you know hate the ipl or aren't remotely interested but for those who are it is quite an interesting uh, scenario because basically each franchise has five or six experts in the room a couple of analysts an owner a head coach something like that you know four or five of them and they've all done simulations already for about two weeks before they've sat in a room trying to predict which other franchises will go for which players and therefore what that leaves for them and what prices they'll go for and so on. They do lots of kind of practice runs to try and second guess what other franchises are doing. There's a lot of maths sort of experts in the room as well, figuring out, you know, what sort of money you should pay for someone, uh, trying to, using the money ball kind of philosophy of uh, who is underperforming here for their cost and who's overperforming for, you know, who's who's a, a, a bargain, if you like. Um, and then what happens is each player, that, that there's a list, actually, of the 1,200, and they come out in, in batches. So, you know, player number one, um, Ravi Chandran Ashwin, who's gonna, who's, who, who will open the bidding. His, his, his base price is $200,000 or lakhs or whatever they call it in, in, in India. Um, and th- then it's up to you know different franchises to bid. They put, raise their paddle, and there's a bit of bidding goes on, and eventually he gets sold. And you get some strange anomalies. With often what happens is um, a, a franchise has, has, has plumped for somebody who they've who's then got stolen by somebody another franchise at the last moment, and so they then got to think, oh God, well you know we need another all rounder who bowls left arm spin, so we'll go for X who wasn't expecting to get picked at all, but suddenly goes for a huge amount of money because the franchise that really wanted that type of player have been kind of gazumped at the last moment. So it's it's quite an intriguing kind of battle of wits and um, analyses and mathematics and obviously money. And the whole point of it, 
is to sort of even up the competition, essentially, isn't it? Is to, is to make sure that, that one or two teams don't dominate. But of course, in, in recent years, one or two teams have dominated, haven't they? Mumbai Indians have dominated, Chennai Super Kings have dominated. You talked about KL Rahul leaving Kings 11 Punjab. You know, they've been pretty poor for, for most of the IPL history. Rajasthan have, have struggled, for example, for, for quite a long time as well. I mean, there are there sort of are the have, haves and have-nots in, in terms of... Uh, success as well. I mean, so it, it, it's not a, a flawless system, but I suppose what it is is, is getting your gaming right, isn't it? It's, it's getting your player yeah, uh, selection and, and actually, right. Yeah, and and although you're right, the Mumbai Indians have won it four times, and Chennai have won it three or four times as well. I mean, most teams have won it at least once, and there is that uncertainty of outcome for, for most of the season. I mean, what the Mumbai Indians have done quite cleverly in the last three years is retained a lot more players than some of the others. And I'm not sure how they do that, actually. <laughs> They've been able to keep hold of more players than other franchises have managed. Uh, but now, with this mega auction, no team has been allowed to retain more than three or four. So it does throw them all into the tombola a bit more. And uh, it will mean that I think Mumbai Indians are not guaranteed to win it next next year. The other thing as well, it's an extended competition because there are two extra teams, the Ahmedabad Titans and the Lucknow Super Giants, both playing in, in brand new stadiums in Ahmedabad and, and Lucknow. We had a look at the Ahmedabad Stadium last year when England uh, were there. And I had a look over the fence when I was in Lucknow uh, last time in, into the distance of the, the new stadium at, at Lucknow. And it looks... Uh, very impressive but what it does mean of course is the the competition is extended is, are we going to get to the stage where there's just too much IPL cricket or do you think there is that that feverish excitement for it in India of course the, the supporters have been starved of it haven't they for a, for a couple of years now uh, because of the Covid uh, restrictions that actually they'll just lap up even more you know you can almost have a, you know you can have IPL week in week out throughout the year and no one would get fed up with it <laughs> I think it it's in a way it's the beauty of the NFL is how short it is how few games are played and I think there is a danger that they try and extend the IPL too long but in the same way by the same token 10 teams is about right I think eight was probably not quite enough and now that they've got more talent when when it was started the IPL that you thought well each team's got to have seven Indian players so that's 56 decent Indian players spread around the teams, or more, in fact, because you know they'll have extra squad members. So probably more like 80 decent Indian players. And there probably weren't 80 decent Indian players then of international standard or near. But now there are, because the IPL's now had its 13 years and it's really raised the standards and the money and the resources and the facilities are so much better in Indian cricket. Therefore, there are lots more talented players around and their scouting systems are better and all that. So I think probably 10 teams is about right, but you're right. You don't want it to extend halfway into the rest of the year. I think you, you address that by playing at least two games per day uh, for at least some of the tournament, perhaps at weekends, not necessarily every day during the week, but you don't want it to be dragging on for six or seven weeks and the players don't want that either I mean that's the appeal of it really that it lasts four or five weeks it's intense and then you're done and you can go off and do something else and you've already you know you've earned yourself a million quid so I think it was dangerous to sort of have one game per day and make it last nearly two months but hopefully if they get the scheduling right 
which will be something they do in the next couple of months, then it will at least leave space for other things in life and cricket. Yeah, of course. But then you look at something like the English Premier League in football, there are 20 teams and they play 38 matches over the course of nine months. You know, the season goes on for a long time. I mean, what you do get, of course, is because of the nature of football, you have that, that, that gap. Of, you know, you have Saturday, well, Wednesday, Saturday, well, Wednesday is often... Champions League or Europe or FA Cup or or League Cup or whatever, but you know it's 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 funny, isn't it, to talk about the IPL? Oh, it's you know it's it's ten teams and it lasts for two months. When you think of the football season that lasts for for nine months, but I suppose what what one big difference is you only play for one team, don't you? In football, you you, you have a team and that's it. You, well, you might play internationally as well for a few matches a year. As IPL, you play here, you play there, you play somewhere else and you play for four or five teams over over the yeah. course of a year. I mean, what I'd like to see actually ultimately is a sort of Champions League, you know, where in September the the winners and the runners up of every But who plays league. for who? The problem is the problem well, is, that's a, some that of, is a problem. Some of these players no, no, of that's a, yeah. you know, end up playing for th- three or four different no, franchises. So Yeah, absolutely right. That, that, yeah. That, that, well, that, that in a way that's t- that's tough, isn't it? Uh it, it's the way it goes, but I think I still think it would give the other leagues, a target, um, something else to look forward to. Uh, and, and actually, you know, I feel sorry for Pakistan because they're still not allowed to take part in the IPL, Pakistan players. Yeah. But at least the winners and the runners-up of the PC, PSL can take part in a global tournament. Yeah. So what would your... Could do, anyway. Could do, anyway. What would your base price be, Yoz, if you were going into the uh, auction? Not not now, obviously, it'd be about £2.50, but I mean... That, that I'd, I'd be paying to play, I think, <laughs> at the moment. Um, what would you what would you put I, yourself in for, you know, in, oh, in 1988 you know, or something? Sort of like 350 quid. Um, an old banger, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, guess, I, guess, I guess I'd go with, with the Reese Topley sort of... Price range seventy five grand something like that hundred grand hope you get picked up I think the key thing is and and I think he said it is the experience it's not all about the money it's about the experience and it's about learning from great players uh, for and against and the environment and the pressure situations and the attention and just the kind of actually the fun of it you know it's it's an extravaganza and it, it will be probably for Reese if he plays, I'd say one of the highlights of his life because it's just, like he said, you know, the IPL, well, India is the soul of cricket now, really. And and it's and it's just an incredibly exciting place to be and, and be a cricketer at. Okay, so, so that's it for this week. Um, but just to say, again, we'd love your questions. So send them in as an audio file to the analyst podcast at gmail.com and we'll, we'll read out the best and answer them, won't we? We will indeed. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.